Well, today we're wrapping up a series called Disciple Makers where we've, we've spent our last seven weeks. And so we're going to dig right in this morning. If you get your message notes out, the question we've been asking over the course of two months is this. Are we becoming disciples who make disciples? We've asked ourselves, are we becoming disciples who make disciples? And I've loved spending the last eight weeks learning together about being a people who share our faith. And one of the main things that I've learned is that sharing our faith with others is not so much a church program or five steps. And if you do everything perfectly, everybody you come in contact with will become a follower of Jesus. What I've learned is that it's about being intentional with the relationships that God has given us right where we are so that we might have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. So today, we come to a group of people that many of us find to be the hardest group of people to share our faith with, and that's our families. And I wonder if there's anyone in this room who doesn't have at least one family member that you long for to become a follower of Jesus. I mean, you want it so badly. I heard a story this week of a, a man who grew up Jewish and he came to believe in Jesus and his parents were still Jewish. And he sent his mom and dad everything he could find about Jesus, but he didn't just send it to him in English, he sent it to him in Hebrew. And so his mom called him and said, honey, I know you want me to learn about Jesus, but your dad and I don't speak one word of Hebrew. We were born here in America. We just want it so bad, we're willing to just go overboard and give it to them and tell them over and over again because we just want them to have what we have. And so I want to share with you, as, as I prepared for today, I, I really believe the Lord impressed on me to go a little bit different direction than just talking about sharing our faith with our families. However, I do believe and pray that what we're going to talk about together will have an impact on how we share with our families. But as we ask this question, are we becoming disciples who make disciples, we've primarily spent our time talking about making disciples, the second part of that question. And the burden God put on my heart to talk about as a faith family is that I sense we need to spend some time talking about becoming disciples. Because if you're following in your notes, becoming a disciple always precedes making disciples. Becoming a disciple always precedes making disciples. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is I've lived this and I've tried to do it. I, I tried to make disciples before I actually became a disciple, and it wasn't effective. It didn't go well. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 14 years old, and then I didn't do much more than profess the name of Jesus for the next 10 years. I labeled myself a Christian, and I told people I was a Christian, but I didn't live like it, and I don't think people would have known I was a Christian had I not told them. It's never a good sign when you have to tell somebody you're a Christian. But that's the way I lived. My life didn't look like the life of a follower of Jesus. I wasn't a disciple, and to be honest with you, I'm not even sure I was a Christian. Because by definition, if you're following in your notes, a disciple is a student or a learner. It's a student or a learner. It's someone with a hungry and a humble heart who longs to become like their teacher. The 12 disciples in, in the New Testament, they lived with their teacher. They lived with Jesus. They traveled with him. They did life with him so they could imitate the life of their leader. To be a disciple means to grow more and more like Jesus every day. And I'm going to say this a few times this morning. 
I'm not talking about perfection. We'll never achieve that. But are we growing in the likeness of Jesus? Are our thoughts, our words, our actions becoming more like Jesus? Or are we kind of just living the status quo, or in some cases even drifting away from looking more and more like Jesus? Uh, Dallas Willard, a well-known author, said this. I love this. He says, being a disciple is simply being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. He goes on to say, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus, steadily learning from him how to live life, the life of the kingdom, into every corner of human existence. He goes on to say this. The problem with Christians in America is not that Christians aren't where they should be. The problem is that they're not what they should be right where they are. A lot of times we call ourselves Christians, but we're not disciples. And Jesus wants us to become disciples because if we, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, yet we're not becoming disciples, I think we do more harm to the movement of Jesus than if we weren't believers at all. We have an influence, but the not, it's not the type of influence that we could have. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, I bet you've witnessed this. You've witnessed us say that we follow Jesus, but then our lives don't look like it. And the truth is, you don't want what we have. If we claim to be Christians, but we're not disciples, we have very little influence. But, but if we claim to be Christians, and we're disciples of Jesus, we are growing more like him, albeit imperfectly, our influence can be enormous especially with our children and our families. We have the opportunity for unbelievable influence if we're becoming a disciple, because becoming always precedes making. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about influence, and he was the most influential person who ever lived. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, we have black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. That's our gift. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. If you're following along in one of those black Bibles, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, can be found on page 677. 677. As everybody's finding their way there, I, I I want to set up this section of scripture for you. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a teaching that Jesus gave on a hillside in Galilee, where he was from, and he had just started his ministry, and he's addressing his followers for the first time. This is kind of his inaugural address. Everybody kind of wants to know, Jesus, what's your ministry going to look like? What are the first hundred days going to look like? What's most important here? Give us your outline. And so in Matthew... Chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, the, the verses that immediately precede what we're going to look at. Jesus gathers his followers, it's called the Beatitudes, and he tells the people what kind of character a follower of Jesus will have. Jesus tells the people that there will be an inside work that happens in you that leads to external behavior. Jesus teaches first about character, then about influence. If you're following in your notes, that's because our character 
always determines our influence. Our character determines our influence. It's the people that are influenced by the Lord that will have the greatest influence for the world in Jesus. And that's why we have to be becoming disciples to make disciples because our character determines our influence. And Jesus, after he walks through verses 1 through 12, he says, now that you can understand that, in verses 13 to 16, he talks about the influence a disciple can have. Would you read that with me? Verses 14 to 16 in the first gray box on your notes. Jesus says these words. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What an incredible verse on influence and the influence we can have if we're becoming disciples. But to understand this fully and and to grasp grasp the weight of what Jesus is saying, we're going to look at this verse in just a minute, but there are several things that are implied in this verse that we need to understand before we look at it. And so if you're following in your notes, the first thing that's implied is that the world is in a state of darkness. The world's in a state of darkness. It, It is a dark place. From the first page of the Bible, we see this contrast of light and dark. And throughout the Bible, we're given the description that the world is dark. All you have to do is look around. It's never been more evident than it is now. Turn on the television, look in the newspaper. We see passenger planes being shot down from the sky to make political statements. We see children abused, women raped. It it is a dark dark world. And Jesus' words here will make no sense to us if we don't understand that we live in the darkness and there is a contrast to the darkness and it's the light. We have to know that there is darkness. So the implication, first one, the world is dark. The second thing that's implied, if you're following in your notes, Jesus is the true light of the world. Jesus is the true light of the world. The same Jesus who said, you are the light of the world, is the true light of the world. We see that throughout the New Testament. Even before Jesus is born, in the Gospel of John, we're told that in Jesus was the life, and the life was the light of all people. Before Jesus' birth, we're told that Jesus is the true light which was coming into the world. In John chapter 3, verse 19, you can see this on the screen. Would you read this with me? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Do you see the contrast? And Jesus is the light of the world. And then in John chapter 8, verse 12, this is Jesus' great statement. He said this. Would you read this with me? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These two statements, you are the light of the world, and I am the light of the world, have to be taken together because we are only the light of the world because of our our relationship to him who is the true light of the world. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, 
said this about these verses. He said, Jesus doesn't say we're like the sun or we're like the stars because suns and stars have light in themselves. You're like a lamp, and a lamp cannot produce light. A lamp can only hold light. That means Jesus is implying very strongly here what's stated elsewhere, and that is Jesus Christ himself is the light of the world, and you become the light of the world only as you are lit by him. Your light is derived. You are a lamp. You're not the sun. It's a good reminder. We are only lit if we're in a relationship with Jesus. And that takes us to the third thing that's implied in this verse. If you're following in your notes, not everyone is the light of the world. Not everyone is the light of the world. The Bible tells us very clearly that we were all created by God in the image of God to be in a relationship with God. But everyone who has ever lived and everybody sitting in this room has chosen what we want over what God wants, and that's called sin and sin has separated us from God forever because a perfect holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And we've all been separated from God and there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right again. I mean, you can't come to enough church services, you can't sing enough songs, give enough money, be good enough. Good doesn't add up. There's nothing you can do. The only way to be made right with God again and to have the light of life inside of you is by admitting we're a sinner believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead on the third day, and that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And this is the great news. We call it the good news. It should be called the great news. Because when we trust Jesus, when we follow him, when we repent, which is a really churchy word of saying, we turn from loving our sin and we turn to loving God, we are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven, and we are made right with God. The Apostle Paul said, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's why eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins right now because the God of the universe takes up residence inside of you. And the one who proclaimed, I am the light of the world, now lives in you and makes you the light of the world. Jesus died for you so that he might live in you. And so I want to stop this morning before we go any further and talk about this verse, and I want to ask you, do you know for sure that the light of the world lives in you? Do you, do you know that? Do you know for sure that you're his child, not because of any good works you have done or any prayers you have prayed or steps you have taken or boxes you have checked, but solely because of the grace he has given you through Jesus' death on the cross? Do you know that? And if you don't, my invitation is today would be the day that right now, at 10.15 on July 20th, 2014, you would say, I want the light of the world. I want to be forgiven. I'm tired of living in darkness. This life is not what I thought it was. You can do that right now. You can do it right now. Don't miss your chance to do that. So Jesus, Jesus, lining up these three things, He goes in and says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And some of the books I I read this week said this is one of the most amazing statements ever to fall from Christ's lips. This pronoun is emphatic. The you is emphatic. And this verse could, could be translated, you and you alone are the only light of the world. 
Do you hear the influence? Do, do you hear the responsibility? Do you hear the purpose that we have when we're followers of Jesus? You and you alone are the only light of the world. And what Jesus is saying here, if you're following in your notes, we are God's plan to shine his light for others to see. We are his plan. Could it be that God has placed you exactly where he wants you so you can shine your light for others to see? Could it be that he's put you in the family that you're in because you would have never chosen them, but he's put you in that family so you can shine your light for others to see? You have the opportunity for unbelievable influence by shining your light. And we're shown in different places in the Bible the important role that we're to play. The Bible continually says, live as children of the light. You are the children of the light. Walk in the light. God has a role and a responsibility for us. It's to shine our light. Jesus continues, and he gives us two metaphors of light. He continues in verse 14, and he said, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, for fear of sounding so simple, this is something that I would teach the kids downstairs, but I, I humbly want to share it with you because I, I want us to be very clear on what Jesus is saying here with these metaphors of light. The first thing he's saying is that a city on a hill is easily visible. If you're driving at night and you come up to a city and it's on a hill, you can see it for miles and miles. Just like a city on a hill, it will be evident for people to see that we are his disciples. If you're following in your notes, when we are disciples of Jesus, it will be evident to others. It will be evident to others. The way we talk, the way we act, how we respond to people, the places we go, how we spend our money, how we treat our family, it should be evident to people. We're a city on a hill. And the second metaphor that Jesus uses is that a lamp is lit that it may give light to all who are in the house. Listen to this. There's no other purpose for lighting a lamp than for the lamp to give light. There's no other purpose. And if you're following in your notes, the primary purpose of a lamp and every disciple is to provide light. It's to provide light. Lights are meant to illuminate. And by its nature, light must be visible in order to illuminate. A light is not lit to put under a bowl. That makes no sense at all. And it makes no sense that Jesus would save someone and, not ex and then not expect their light to shine. That would totally miss the purpose for God and his people. We're told this in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9. Would you read this with me? This is who we are. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Lights are meant to illuminate. That's our role. That's our job. Jesus finishes this teaching on influence in verse 16, and he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The mode 
of shining our light is our life and our conduct. It's our character and our behavior. Is our light, is our life lining up with how the Bible instructs us to live? Because character determines influence, becoming precedes making. And letting our light shine before others allows them to see our good works, the beauty that the Lord has worked in us. Because to see good works by us allows people to see Jesus in us. We shine our light by good works. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, if you're following in your notes, how bright is your light shining? How bright is it shining? Is it evident to others that the light of Christ lives in you? Because if we pray and hope that someone else will shine the light of Christ, we better be shining ourselves. Light has a tremendous influence. We can have a tremendous influence if we're becoming disciples. And I do believe the two places where we could have the most influence in our lives is our children and our families. So for the remaining time together, I want to talk about the importance of shining our light to our kids and shining our light to our families and what that might look like. We're going to begin by talking about shining our light on our children. And if you don't have small children, maybe this is your grandchildren. Maybe it's your great-grandchildren. Maybe it's your nieces or your nephews or your cousins or a next-door neighbor who has children. You can be an influence and a light regardless of where you are. But the sobering fact is that parents will have more influence than anyone else on their children. The question is, what kind of influence will it be? It can be negative or positive, but how you live will make an impact on your kids. How I pursue God, how I love my wife, how I treat others, how I respond to authority, how I spend my money, how I work will all affect my kids' values and perspectives in life. How you express your faith and live out your faith may have a greater impact on your son or daughter than anything else for the remainder of their lives. What they see and hear and experience growing up will communicate more about your faith, your light, than anything they face or anything they know. It's a huge responsibility. You can do it. Jesus wouldn't have told us that we could do it if he didn't mean it. So we can do it, but it's a huge responsibility. And if your goal, your hope is that your child will become a follower of Jesus, and let me just say this, if you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus here, your goal for your children, number one, should be that they grow up to become a disciple of Jesus. More than an athlete, more than uh, a star, more than anything else in life, your goal is that they should become a follower of Jesus. And what we need to know, if you're following in your notes, you can't raise your kids to be something you're not. You can't raise your kids to be something you're not. We cannot expect our children to rise above our example. If my kids don't see me spending time in God's word, they probably won't. If my kids see me using inappropriate language or involved in coarse talk, they'll probably follow suit. If they see me scream at their mother and treat her with contempt, they will probably disrespect her as well and women in general. If my kids never see me trust God during difficult times or pray to him or ask for guidance or be thankful except before dinner and bed, then why would I expect them to grow up and do th any differently? 
We can try to teach our children to do as we say, not as we do, but our words can only go so far when they're contradicted by our actions. If our light doesn't shine. If you're following in your notes, the most important thing The most important thing you can do for your child is to grow into the likeness of Jesus. The most important thing you can do for your child is to become a disciple of Jesus yourself. They need to see Jesus in you more than anything else. And parents, I'm going to say it again. I'm not talking about perfection I'm not talking about not being allowed a bad decision or a bad moment, a bad day, a bad week, getting out of control and yelling. I'm not talking about that. If I was rating weeks as a dad, this last week would be one of my worst. It was terrible. It stunk. And I have to use that language because we're in church. (laughs) I, I was horrible. My kids weren't that great. If we were going on the perfection scale, I'd be ruled out. What we're talking about is growing into the likeness of Jesus, admitting mistakes when we've made them, and asking God for help and to guide us. We have to give our kids a chance. We have to give them the foundation so that when they grow up and they make their own decisions, And should they choose to walk away from the faith, at least they have a foundation to come back to that was modeled by you. The most important thing you can do is to shine your light by growing into the likeness of Jesus and to give your kids that foundation. Parents, one of the best ways to do this, if not the best way, is to spend time in God's word. It's no coincidence in Psalm 119, 105, you can see this on the screen, The Bible, we're told, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. We need to spend time with God if we want to know his heart. If we want to know how to live as a disciple, we need to spend time in his word. And here's a little physics for you. Have you ever noticed that the closer an object is to its light source, the brighter it shines? So it is with a follower of Jesus. The more time we spend with him and the more time we spend in his word, the brighter our light will shine for our children. So let me ask again, how bright are you shining? Because if you want to make a disciple of your child, you need to be becoming a disciple yourself. I gave a lot more detail on how to disciple your children in a message in 2013. You can see the date on your notes. Um, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to that if you'd like to get better and find out what the Bible says about discipling your children. But the main point I wanted to make is that if you want to make disciples, you have to be becoming a disciple, especially with your kids. And so now I want to move into families and talk about that. And everything we just talked about with children is applicable for families. Just like children, our families are watching us very closely if we claim to be a Christian. They're, they're looking for the light. They're watching us. So before we begin talking about sharing our faith with our families, let me say this. If your light is not shining, if it's grown dim, start there. Start spending time with God and spending time in his word and spending time in prayer and begin living with God as the most important thing in your life. Ask him for his help. 
I would encourage you to not even try to make disciples of your family until you begin becoming a disciple yourself because they'll just see a hypocrite. Start with yourself. But if you are a disciple of Jesus and your light is shining, man, isn't it true that our families can be one of the hardest places to share our faith? the most frustrating of places. And I don't know why that is. I think some of it is because our families are so emotionally charged. I think some of it is um, the pain of rejection with our families could be even greater than with somebody we may not know. I, I think some of it is our families know us from the past and they remember little Brian and how much of a hypocrite I was so they don't want to listen right now. It's just really hard to share our faith with our families. And I so wish the Bible gave us a formula that if we did these five things, every family member would become a follower of Jesus, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't. But I believe the Bible does give us some instructions on how to live as disciples and how to share our faith and shine our light. So like we did last year with children, I want to provide several principles from the Bible that may help you as you share your faith with your unsaved family members. And as I speak about these, please know I need to hear these as much as anyone. In fact, Sarah and I talked this week about how we could get better at some of these and implement these in our life. So I'm learning with you as we walk through these. Number one, the first way we could shine our light with our families is to love them before sharing. Love them. I'd be willing to say, until you love them, don't share your faith with them. And if you don't love them, pray that God would help you love your family members. Because if you just go in and share your faith and you don't love them, it's going to come across as trying to convince them that you're right. Maybe you need to call and have conversations about life. Take an interest in your family members. Call your mom and dad, your brother or your sister, your aunt or your uncle, and just talk to them and love them. Their salvation does not need to come up in every conversation you have. It doesn't. You can just learn more about them and learn how to love them. Tim Keller, again, the pastor from New York City, says, we love people into belief. We don't argue them into belief. Love them. And if you don't, ask God to help you love them. That's the first thing. Number two, second way we can shine our light, share your faith with humility, not self-righteousness. We are not better than our family members because we're saved. We can go in sometimes with holy rolling and just talk about how great we are. But we'd be well served to remember Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9 that says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, that this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Don't go in with self-righteousness. Go in humility. Go in humility. The third way we can shine our light, serve your family generously. Serve your family generously. Don't withhold good from them. There's this story in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 15, where the Pharisees, the religious people in Jesus' day, they were saying things like this, we can't take care of our families because we're giving all of our money to God. And you would expect Jesus to come along and say, absolutely give all your money to God. He's the most important thing in your life. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, shame on you. And he scolds them for not taking care of their family. We need to serve our family generously to show them that we love them. Let them see your good deeds so that they may praise your Father in heaven. 
I read a quote this week that just, it stung me. It said, it's embarrassing how my unsaved family consistently outserved me, the supposedly committed Christian. Your family's watching. And it just was a good reminder that if my family who is unsaved calls me and needs help with something, I need to drop what I'm doing if I can and serve them. It's just a good reminder. We need to serve generously. The fourth way we can shine our light, don't try to reform them. Don't try to reform your family members. This is so hard and it's so tempting because we see family members who are obviously making sinful choices and we can be tempted to denounce their lifestyles and often, listen, listen, often we want to modify their behavior before we share Jesus with them. We just want them to act like a Christian instead of being a Christian. But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So are we more concerned with their behavior or are we more concerned with sharing Christ? Don't try to reform your family. It will not go well. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said that he expected those who didn't know Christ to act like it. He said the people who are not of God consider the things of God foolishness. But Paul didn't reject them. He preached Christ crucified and showed people their need for a savior, often by telling the difference that Jesus made in his life. Now, where it gets a little sticky and tricky. Once your family member has made a decision to follow Jesus or say they've made a decision to follow Jesus, then you can start talking about behavior and whether their life is lining up with what the Bible says. That's called discipling them. There's a difference there. But don't try to reform your family members before they're followers of Jesus. Just won't go well. Number five, fifth way to shine your light. Have patience and perseverance. Have patience and perseverance. Many times sharing faith with family members is a marathon, not a sprint. And I wonder if somebody's here. You, you are sitting here this morning and you've given up hope. You've stopped praying You've grown weary because you just have got to the point where there's no way that family member will ever become a follower of Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't give up on them and don't give up on what God can do in their heart. There's a fantastic story of a famous missionary named George Mueller who prayed for five individuals every day. George Mueller wrote in his journal, in November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission. 18 months passed before the first was saved. Five years lapsed, then the second. Six years before the third. And in an interview near the end of his life, George Mueller said this, I've been praying every day for 52 years for two men. They are not converted yet. Listen, he said, but they will be. We're told that Mueller died praying in faith, thanking God in advance for the salvation of those two for whom he was praying. And it wasn't until after his death that his two friends did place their trust in Jesus. Don't give up up on someone and don't give up on God. He can change their heart. Number six, how we can share our faith with our family. This is very obvious. We need to share what the Lord has done for us. We need to share. Pastor Steve taught on this several weeks ago when he taught on show and tell and he gave us this suggestion for sharing. He said, tell them about Jesus and the difference he's made in your life. 
You don't have to have all the answers and humbly admit when you don't and say, I don't know that. I can go find out for you. But we need to share how Jesus has changed our life if we hope them to understand what Jesus can do in their life. Can I add this, though? You don't need to share your story with your family every time you're with them. You, you don't need to wedge it into a conversation. If your father-in-law says, did you see that comeback the Cardinals made the other night in the seventh inning, and you immediately say, can I tell you about the comeback I made against sin by Jesus' death on the cross? <laughs> don't do it. Once they've heard your story, li- listen, once they've heard your story, they've heard your story. They know it. And for a lot of us, our family knows the truth. They know what Jesus did on the cross. Their eyes just haven't been open to accept it yet. You don't need to force it. Now, I'm not saying don't work God into everyday conversations and share your worldview and where you see God at work. I'm just saying you don't need to walk through your entire story every time you're with your family. But they do need to hear it at some point. That's number six. Share what the Lord has done for you. And number seven, it leads us into number seven. Don't nag them, nag God. Nag God. Pray and fast for your family members. I believe the reason we nag our family is twofold. Here's the first one. We really want them to follow Jesus. We, we really do. It's a great motive. And number two, here's the second reason we nag. We still believe it's our job to convince them. We still believe it's our job to change their hearts. And when we share our faith with family members, when we have this mindset, here's what we walk away with. I'm such a failure. If only I would have shared a little better. If only I would have been a bit more bolder. If only I would have shared my story for the sixth time. If only I would have done this, they would be saved. It's not our responsibility to save anybody. We've said this over and over again. You can't make somebody follow Jesus, but it is your responsibility to shine your light for everyone to see, to spread the good news consistently and persistently, and then trust God to do the rest. So you don't need to nag your family members. Instead, nag God. Be the persistent widow that went to the judge and asked for the same thing over and over and over again. Spend time in prayer for God, crying out for the salvation of your family members by name. Perhaps you want to fast for their salvation. We taught on that earlier this year where we set aside a certain amount of time where we fill ourselves with God and his word instead of filling ourselves with food. Maybe that's a meal for you, or two meals, or one day, or three days, or a week. I don't know what it is. But maybe you want to fast that your family would be saved. And the reason praying and fasting is so important is because we can do everything right. We can do it all right, and your family member may never become a follower of Jesus. And the hard part to accept is that's not our responsibility. It's just our responsibility to shine the light. So as we thought about how to end today and end this series, we decided that the best thing we could do together as a faith family would be to spend a few minutes in prayer. 
praying for our children and our family members and, and people on our cards that we gave out at the beginning of the series. Do you have any initials or names? Neighbors, coworkers. And the way we'll do this is that I'll make a statement and then we're going to spend a couple minutes praying for that specific group of people by name. And what I believe can happen that as we sit in this room and call on the name of the Lord for the salvation of our family members, I believe God can change a heart 500 miles away. I really believe he can do that. We certainly can't. So we're going to pray and ask God to do what only he could do. So would you join me as we pray? God, we begin by asking that you would help us live a life worthy of the gospel, that we would walk as children of light. We confess right now that sometimes we are not the light of the world. Our light burns very dimly, and we get this wrong a lot. So we need your help, and we ask for your help. True light of the world, would you, would you, would you make us burn brightly for you? Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer through the cross that when we ask you, hear us and you forgive. So we ask you as forgiven people right now. God, we want to pray for our children and our grandchildren, maybe our nieces and nephews, our cousins. Would you save them? We pray for them right now by name. God, we want to pray for our family members, our grown children, our moms, dads, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. God, we cry out to God for our family members to be saved by name right now. God, we want to pray for our friends and neighbors, people along our path, our coworkers, people that we've written on our card that don't know you, God. We pray for these people that you would save them. We pray for them by name 
right now. God, we are thankful that you hear our prayers and that it is your desire that all should be saved. We pray, we pray that everyone we have just mentioned, their eyes would be open, their hearts would be softened, and that they would come to know you as Savior and Lord. And we ask that in the saving name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Well, I want to invite the elders and the prayer team down front. If this is the day where you said, I want the light of the world to live in me, then tell somebody else. Let us know. We'd love to share that with you. If you want to make sure he heals your church home, we want to welcome you. And if you just need prayer over anything in your life, maybe it's your children, your family, we'll be down here to pray with you. But Sherry Hills, in the words of Jesus, as you leave this room, you and you alone are the light of the world. Go and shine your light for people to see. You're dismissed.